everyone. Uh, thank you so much for uh, tuning in into uh, Time for Emerging Markets, Duals for Within Emerging Markets. Uh, my name is Jacob. I'm the host of this podcast. And I'm, I'm really excited to have uh, Basil Arnold, um, an incredible entrepreneur, just, you know, someone really outstanding and um, just really excited to talk to him today, uh, Alexander Thompson Payan. Uh, founder of Thompson Group International, based in Angola, and many other accolades that comes with, with his name. Uh, Alexander, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Jacob. Yeah, awesome, awesome. So getting right into it, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm a Babson graduate. I come from quite an international family. I have an American father and a Colombian mother. And I was actually born in Saudi Arabia. So uh, have a, and then I moved to the States uh, when I was, my father was doing business in Saudi. And then when I was about six years old, I moved to the States. We moved to Miami mm -hmm. and I went to school there until I went to Babson. And then when I went, was in Babson, I, I took my junior year off and did my summer of my sophomore year, my junior year, and the summer of my junior year in China, in Shanghai, studying Mandarin nine hours a day and, and uh, getting to learn the language and the culture. And then I went back to Babson. I graduated in 06. And then I uh, went down and I worked for an amazing guy called Marcelo Claude, who uh, had founded a company called Brightstar, which uh, today is the largest mobile phone distribution company in the world. And uh, he has gone off to sell that company to SoftBank, now the COO of SoftBank. Uh, and I had a great learning experience with him as his right hand and his chief of staff. And then uh, my Babson entrepreneurial itch kicked in. Yes. And I had an opportunity to go to Angola. And uh, I had another friend from Babson that had introduced it to me. And, you know, we were just looking at it and seeing that it was going to be the fastest growing economy in the world. And my buddy actually wanted to go in and go into the timber business. And I said, I don't really know anything about timber, but the one thing I know about is mobile phones. So I started uh, our first company, which was Electrics Telecommunications which uh, today is one of the largest mobile phone telecommunications companies in the country. We do mobile phone distribution, airtime distribution, retail. We grew it up to 36 retail stores. Um, and, and yeah, and that, so we got very lucky with that business. Yeah. And then um, started diversifying ourselves, but focused on the Angolan market. So, mm -hmm. We opened a, my next, you know, I just said, I just had to educate myself on why there was money in Angola, which was obviously the oil and gas boom. Mm -hmm. uh, Angola was in a very interesting place because it went from being 45 years of uh, first independence civil war, which ended in 2002. Uh, so it literally went from ground zero to the fastest growing economy in the world and producing 2 million barrels of oil a day. Um, <laughs> So I just said originally that I should educate myself on why it is that, uh, you know, just the understand the oil and gas market and mm -hmm. socially became friends with the president of Schlumberger, the president of Chevron, mm -hmm. uh, all these big multinationals that were there. 
And uh, that led us to start a company called ESS, which is Exceptional Service and Supply, which does a wide range of services to the oil and gas companies. And now we've spread outside of just oil and gas, and we just work with multinationals that are in the market and in these emerging markets, which are usually quite just difficult to operate in. And our whole philosophy is uh, we will deal with all the headaches of operating locally. You focus on your core business. So we do everything from procurement to manpower to heavy machinery rental to housing to uh, office space. We have co-working spaces to industrial bases. Um, and yeah, that's grown into a beautiful business as well. We got very lucky with that. And then from there, we started understanding that where the these big multinationals were spending most of their cash and that a lot of it was in the housing and in, you know, just the real estate space. And what happens with these companies and what we were able to figure out is that, you know, they even though it doesn't make financial sense, they won't go buy real estate assets, right? They want to rent. They want to be able to be flexible, especially in these emerging markets, be able to pull out if they need to and not have these big allocations of cash and in, into those hard assets. So that moved us uh, into the hotel industry on the residential side. Today, we own three hotels in the country. Um, we have the highest, our, our we have a beautiful hotel called Art House, which is the, wow. I'm very proud to say, the highest uh, rated hotel in the country on bookings.com and TripAdvisor. Wow. Wow. Uh, then we actually uh, acquired a, a very large um, hotel slash industrial base. Now it's called ESS Industrial Village, mm -hmm. which is 16 buildings, has 800 rooms, it's a just a office space, clinics, warehouse space. Um, so it's really a turnkey solution for country, companies trying to come into the market. And our philosophy, trying to be different from everybody else in Angola, you can't imagine. In 2014, a two-bedroom apartment was $14,000, $15,000 a month. Wow. And you had to pay a year up front. Wow, that's, <laughs> it was crazy. That's, that's very so, expensive. <clears throat> Yeah, so what we did is we kind of went the opposite way. We said to our clients, whether it be for your housing, for your office space, or for your industrial space, instead of having to get a fixed long-term contract as your companies grow and contract, we just tried to be the most flexible people ever. So we said, if you want you know, uh, a room for a day, great. If you want a desk for a day, great. If you want a warehouse, if you want 500 meters for a day, a month, a year, fine. And by giving our customers that flexibility and not forcing them into these contractual obligations, it actually made them feel a lot more comfortable and has allowed us to maintain with very, very high occupancy rates in all of our properties. I just love to hear talk more and more. There's so much information. That's, <laughs> it's just so exciting. Uh, just, uh, just to take us a little bit back. So I read an article on Bloomberg News. I think this came out back in 2014 of you raising capital uh, from your Swiss and American friends, uh, was a couple of hundred thousand. Uh, I think here it says 200,000. How was it like to convince your friends to you know, raise this amount of money and go into Angola? 
to start this venture? What was the experience like and how did you actually convince them that to probably get the return on invested capital if you uh, went on to this venture in Angola? Ah, that's always a tough one, isn't it? It's, uh, <laughs> it's funny, but you know, I think that the the key to that and in everything is, you know, really just be a man of your word, you know, and be somebody that with even the smallest things, you respect your word. And when you honor your word, what happens is people start noticing and people start trusting your word, you know, and if you every you know you say i'm going to be there at seven o'clock if you're there at seven o'clock you know you just every single thing you say ends up happening what happens is people start trusting your word you know and, and so when when you've been able to do that and and especially in these tough markets but people trust you and you trust your word they will follow Definitely. you know Definitely. so i i think that that's especially with friends and family you know it's uh you know, that's the name of the game. And that's where most entrepreneurs start, you know what I mean? And so yeah. I think it's a, a key, key factor. And once again, not just in business and everything that we do, you know, mm -hmm. in every aspect of our lives, if we are known as people that respect our words, that honor our word, eh, people will trust our word. Definitely, definitely. I mean, that's, that's powerful. Thanks for sharing that. I think those are some of the key lessons that some of our listeners um, these very basic things that we just need to take seriously uh, um, is very important for aspiring entrepreneurs. Um, so thanks for sharing that. Um, how was, can you please tell us about your experience as a board member of the U.S. Angola Chamber of Commerce? Uh, um, yeah. How was that like? And how oh, did it's you... been great. It's That's been it? great. It's been great. It was an honor to be, it was an honor to be asked to be a part of it. It's, um, you know, it's a, you know, one just, it was honored because it kind of shows that the, the, the market believes that we are leaders of it, that we were the only sort of small, I guess, company that mm -hmm. was in that, you know, because everybody else was Exxon, Halliburton, mm -hmm. you know, like these big banks, yeah. Standard Chartered Bank, you know, and, and uh, we were the, you know, we're not a small company anymore, but we were the sort of the one sort of not major multinational company in there, which uh, allowed us to have a very different voice and a very different opinion. And um, yeah, it was just a great, great, uh, it's a great organization that really assists uh, American and not, you know, really it's called the American Chamber of Commerce, but it's not as if they only allow American companies in. Um, and then we, we, I pushed to start and become the head of the corporate social responsibility division of it. Wow. That's something that I, especially in emerging markets, I think it's somewhere, well, you can do it everywhere, but somewhere we can have a lot of impact. And that's something that we have stuck, and me personally, a lot of our energy into. Um, we founded a, an NGO called 100% for Love in which um, uh, it's, I don't know if you guys remember back uh, when you had the whole, you had a bunch, one was the Clinton Foundation scandal. We had a bunch of these scandals of these foundations that, you know, less than 10% of the donations actually went to the causes. Everything went to salaries and overhead and trips and, you know, rents and this and that. 
And uh, so what 100% for Love, what we decided to do is that PGI, our holding company, covers all overhead. Mm. Uh, so we pay for all salaries, all rents, all you know operational expenses, and 100% of donations go to the causes specifically so when people make donations you know and everything is 100 percent transparent and uh you know people make a donation today the next day they will see receipts of what that donation was done and the next day they'll see pictures of it being given out to kids or whatever of the different things that we have and and that was interesting because it also you know doing trying to do the sort of the giving thing it was a huge lesson to me and to our, our team about one transparency, you know, really just being open with your investors or your donors or your clients and, and how important communication is and just really sharing with them what is going on. And, and the other beautiful thing about that was that when I started noticing that we were doing things that weren't just for us, you know, that it wasn't in our interest, but it was in our interest as a collective whole, exactly. you know, people see when you're doing that, you know, people <laughs> feel it. And we were able to do amazing things. You know, we've adopted the, the beaches of Luanda, which before was, you know, they used to look like nobody would use them. It was just full of trash, you know, yeah. and we just started, and we started literally just doing beach cleanup campaigns in which, you know, I was thinking about, I was like, man, I grew up in the richest country in the world, in the U.S. and in a nice neighborhood. And since I was seven years old, we would go out as a community and clean the beaches, you know. Mm -hmm. And now why that I live in one of the poorest countries in the world are we expecting the government to do it for us? And so uh, I just, you know, put it out there to, to all our, our clients and on social media saying that we would start this. Hundreds of people showed up. A bunch of companies came in and gave donations. And today, it's amazing. We still do it on the first Saturday of every month. And the beaches are pristine. You know, people have gone, set up, you know, umbrellas, volleyball nets, set up businesses. And now we go and clean and there's not that much trash because now the people see how beautiful it is and they don't want to leave it, you know, like that. So it's, yeah. um, and it was, it's just a great feeling to see and, and and lesson to learn that when you're doing something that is not just you know and i think that goes into business as well right don't be looking for businesses that is just what profit am i going to make instead make your intention how am i going to add to society how am i going to add to this world and i think especially in emerging markets those of us who have been blessed to be educated or grow up in 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 non-emerging markets have a lot that we can bring to the table and a lot that we could add to society and really help these emerging markets emerge exactly exactly that, that's so powerful i mean personal responsibility uh personal accountability corporate social responsibility i mean those are uh, some of the ethos that have been taught in business school but you actually lived the experience and i can see through uh, through this uh, conversation, they are actually a role model for for people like us to look up to. And uh, I think a lot of people be inspired by by that. I'm just showering, showering you with praises. How is it too like? Much, too much. <laughs> <laughs>